can you hit pause on an entire economy <laughs> and then just and then unpause it you know a little bit later welcome to island thrive bringing you engaging conversations with vancouver island business and community leaders we've taken this quantum leap from a macro perspective this isn't going away and welcome to island thrive our uh, weekly podcast I'm Paul Holmes, your host, and today my uh, co-host is Ty Hedden, who's a VCIO here at Smart Dolphins. Ty, how are you this morning? Doing well. Thanks, Paul. Good. And a uh, special guest with us today from Victoria Women's Transition House is Susan Howard, the Development Director. Welcome, Susan. Hi. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? How are you managing these days? Okay. It's been very busy. Busy's good. And yeah, then, you know, it keeps you focused, right? It keeps you less uh, focused on all the craziness in the world around us. <laughs> and there is a lot going on. Yes, <laughs> so indeed. much going on. Yeah, it's so yeah. crazy. So tell us a little bit for those who maybe haven't heard of Victoria Women's Transition House. What is the uh, mandate and uh, what are some of the services that you offer in, in the community? Sure, thanks. So Victoria Women's Transition House provides emergency shelter for women and their children who are fleeing uh, gender-based violence, so domestic abuse. And in addition to the shelter that we have, um, we also offer a variety of counseling programs and supports for women and their kids, as well as specialized programs for older women whose needs uh, might be a little bit different. Our services are for women who are experiencing or have experienced domestic abuse, which we now frequently call gender-based violence or intimate partner violence. And abuse, of course, is not just physical violence, but we do include psychological abuse, financial abuse, any aspect of power and control that one individual may have over another. And in our services, we do support women and their kids. So if someone was wanting to leave their abusive situation or just explore the options, we would invite them to call our crisis and information line, which is the 24-hour telephone line that's answered all the time by our staff and trained volunteers. And they can ask any questions they like about their particular situation, about the services available, if they feel they need to leave their partner, they need to leave, that they're not safe in their home, our counseling staff will counsel them through a safety plan and help them plan for a departure. Unfortunately, the point at which a woman decides to leave an abusive partner can be the most dangerous. So it's a very thoughtful process, a very careful process. There's a lot of safety protocols that are suggested. And this is, of course, to keep women and their kids safe. So we have the crisis line. We have a shelter that has 18 beds. It's eight bedrooms. And it's located in a confidential location in Victoria in a really lovely neighborhood. And to uh, be able to access the shelter, uh, women need to call the crisis line and see if there's room and, and make those arrangements. And then uh, beyond the shelter itself, where women and their kids can stay for up to 30 days, we also offer all kinds of uh, fabulous counseling programs that are for, uh, to help support women and, and kids to try to find some balance and, and to find 
really a healthier life. Have you seen an uptick in inquiries as a result of what I would assume would be sort of the unfortunate consequence, one of many unfortunate consequences of the pandemic right now? Yes. So um, it's really interesting, the progression of folks reaching out to us. When at the front end of the pandemic, we had a surge of calls and inquiries. And then once the lockdown started, it became very, very quiet. And apparently this is not uncommon in times of crisis, perhaps new to our generation here in Canada, but, and of course it was because women were, families were contained, just like you were saying, Paul, like they're contained in their homes. And so, yes, you know, those small irritations and being with the same people 24 hours a day in a small space really can be difficult. And so our expectation is, and it started, that as the restrictions have been lifted, we are starting to see more calls to our crisis line and more women reaching out for help. And it's very alarming because, as I've mentioned, the the most dangerous time for a woman is when she leaves her partner or, or starts to make those plans to leave her partner. We're very concerned for women and we're we're here and we're we're ready to help but uh it's starting to get quite busy yeah i want to switch gears a little bit to how your organization is managing during the pandemic i we we sort of asked all of our guests on the podcast what changes they've made how they've managed to sort of move move forward and i do want to uh for those listening do want to uh, jump a little bit into fundraising as well because that's obviously this is um critical time for a lot of nonprofits, but especially ones like yours, but we'll sort of split those up into two topics. So maybe, maybe starting out with how your organization made the transition into, into uh, maybe work from home or other arrangements that you, you made, and I guess how you keep women and their, their kids safe as well in the shelter situation. Well, it was it was very different, that's for sure. When the physical distancing measures were introduced, we had to transition from and move our women who were in the shelter because it's a it's a purpose-built house, but it is still a home with common areas, you know, large kitchen, common living room, that type of thing. So we moved the women into a motel here in Victoria that uh, again was a confidential location. We provided support at the hotel. So the women and their kids were able to have their own hotel room with their own bathroom. And then we delivered, there were kitchenettes in these rooms and we were able to deliver groceries to the women so they could cook their own meals. Of course, at the shelter, the meals are cooked for the group as a whole and and folks eat together. But of course, they couldn't do that. And then we provided counseling support right at the hotel location. So using physical distancing as well, and still trying to uh, support the women and provide the resources that they might need to seek legal advice, financial advice, all of the usual support services that we offer. So that was, that was the first big change for sure. And then all of our staff are working from home. In working from home, our counselors were very concerned. We were all very concerned about our clients that the counselors could no longer see 
face-to-face. They were reaching out by telephone, uh, which was good. They were also delivering care packages to some of our families right to their stoop and then of course physically distancing with a with a short hello but what was really exciting was introducing something that we've talked about a little bit but I think was fast-tracked as a result of COVID and that was a digital platform so that our counseling staff can speak face-to-face through um, a digital platform with some of our clients and the staff are starting to use that both in a group setting. So like a zoom style group check-in as well as uh, one-on-one with the clients. And one of the biggest concerns for us was of course, security and safety for our women. That was a big consideration in the selection of the platform that was selected. We've all had to make major adjustments with uh, continuing our service delivery. So both in the uh, administrative support of our organization and our clients, but then certainly the frontline counseling services. It's so interesting to hear about that that pivot. And that's something that we're seeing in in every industry. But I can imagine the the logistics with the work you do is, is quite a bit more complicated when, you know, you really have people under under your care you know, we're really trusting, you know, and relying on you. And, you know, it must be just quite a, quite a worrying time to you know, say be living at the shelter and then pandemic hits and all of a sudden, you know, you're not quite sure what things are going to look, look like. And, you know, that you were able to move people to a hotel and, and transition things so smoothly is just really quite incredible. And I think that's, that's kind of analogous to what a lot of businesses have been forced to do with many of the core services they offer, um, like sort of that the digital platform that that you mentioned that that's something that we're seeing with with almost every client right now is they're they're needing to to introduce something you know to provide basically continuity for what they provide for their clients and um, having to do it very quickly in most cases while while still keeping things things secure that's been a big i think a big part of my day to day is is helping establish the criteria for for those things um, you know what are the elements that that we need to look for to make sure that you know while we're getting services back on track quickly, we're not setting ourselves up for you know, major risk and say a security breach and, and that type of thing. Do you feel like that that platform is, is something that you'll you know, continue to use long, long term and maybe even grow more into to online services, that, that type of thing? I think so. I, I mean, uh, the feedback that I've heard from the counseling staff and then from the counseling staff, the feedback they've heard from the clients is very positive. And, you know, the other part of it is that it's uh, it supplements our other counseling. So, um, I mean, right now it supplements telephone counseling. But once we're back able to meet face-to-face with our clients, then we can just, in theory, continue the digital option. The other thing that's really interesting is that we've had a couple of, and this sort of brings in the fundraising, I was able to secure a few grants for programs that are group-based. So one of them is a program called, it's through our our children's counseling. The children's counseling is called the Peace Program. And our children's counselors go, one part of the program, they go into schools and they deliver workshops on uh, respectable relationships and good communication skills. And these workshops are tailored to the age of the children. And it's group presentations. So clearly, number one, there's there was no school so and we can't do 
group presentations because of COVID and the and all of the concerns and physical distancing. So we quickly switched gears and in the process of creating a video that is being shot in the outdoors with physical distancing. And it's a conversation between our two counseling staff and they're basically delivering the group workshop program in a video format. I think it's 10 or 15 minutes. It's quite brief. But, you know, the important thing is we will push this out through social media and in, put it on our website and, in, and get it out in other ways to use. Probably, once again, if the funding will continue, that can be another, another tool for our counseling services continuing the in-person group counseling and the one-on-one as well as having some digital options. I love that that innovation. You know, one thing that just, just came back to mind um, was a few years ago, I remember discussing you know, one really neat thing that uh, the transitioners had done, which was bringing in uh, tablets for, for storytelling for really children to like be able to tell their side of an experience. And I just thought that was, that was so neat and, and quite, quite forward-thinking. The other thought I had as well is just, it sounds like there's a proactive element here, you know, being able to reach kids early on so they can recognize, you know, unhealthy situations and, and prevent them from ever needing, you know, or ever finding themselves in, in, in those, you know, un- unhealthy relationships. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, it's totally true. Yeah. Research does show that there, there is a possibility that violence and abuse can be intergenerational. So it's so important that children who are exposed to domestic abuse, gender-based violence, that they have the opportunity to receive some counseling and some support to help them try to make sense of what, what is going on and to and just to receive that support so that they can move forward in having healthy relationships in their future as well. It's so amazing the technology that has been available to us around uh, education, you know, and learning. And I know for us, we we were doing a lot of in-person training <laughs> before all of this, and we switched gears and started doing a lot of online training. It was still needed. In fact, it was needed more than ever. We lost the ability to sort of have people into our office and, and do all that training in person. So, you know, it's, it's great from an education perspective that you're able to sort of shift gears like that. The big concern, We've seen a lot of this is tools like Zoom and Teams, which are fantastic for for many things, are definitely not the right tools for things like discussing your very personal details, be they financial or abuse or counseling related things. Uh, It's just the security shouldn't, in my opinion, shouldn't be trusted to be locked down for those things. So it's great that you guys were able to find a secure solution to to do that because I know a lot of people, a lot of organizations and I don't fault any of them by any means, but you know, they sort of rushed to just kind of get something in place. Having sensitive information being discussed on a Zoom call, for example, isn't ideal in the best case no. scenario. So, and I would say especially for an organization like yours where I would say the sensitivity level would be extreme. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, fundraising. And I think you had mentioned before the show, about 40% of your budget every year is comes from fundraising. Was that, did I catch that? No, that's right. right. Yeah, that's right. That's a little daunting in the middle of a pandemic. So maybe some, some thoughts on, you know, obviously you're not having 
gala dinners and <laughs> you're not having, uh, you know, doing a lot of uh, networking in person. What's maybe some of the, some of the things that you've tried that have been successful? Sure. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, we do have to raise about 40% of our budget every year. So every April 1st is the start of our new fiscal. So we started our new fiscal in the middle of the pandemic. So April 1st, I start from pretty much zero and uh, build up to support our programs throughout the year. So all events have been canceled. We are very, very fortunate to be the beneficiary of a number of annual fundraising events, as well as events that just pop up. And some of those events, of course, are completely gone or they're postponed into later 2021. But other folks have done some pretty innovative stuff. And again, these are tools that have been available to us in the community for a long time. But of course, one of the things that's come up is online auctions. So we have a couple of supporters that are doing online auctions for us. We also have people that typically give to us every year that have moved up their donations. So I I just launched a, recently launched a direct mail campaign for fundraising, which I do every spring. I was a little bit late this year because there was so much going on, but we did notice that even before we got the mail out, that we did have some supporters coming forward early to make their gift because they were anticipating that there was going to be need. And indeed, I mean, we have had tons of additional expenses in moving to the digital platform, in working to provide many of our clients with loaner laptops and tablets so that they can communicate with us in, you know, a manner other than telephone. But events are pretty much switched out. People are, have been quite generous with not just financial contributions, but they've contacted us to ask what it is we do need which, mm. you know, what a great question. That's brilliant. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what do you need? And so we've had uh, folks come forward with all kinds of care packages that we have passed along to our clients. People have, have created accounts for us at a couple of the local independent bookstores where we can go and purchase books and just pull from that bank of funds that's been set up for us. And with those books, we can distribute them in the care packages to our clients. People have been pretty pretty creative in how they've been supporting us. That's good to know. It's definitely with the financial situation for a lot of people, you know, they've been, been laid off or their hours have been cut or their their situations have changed. It's been, uh, I think there's a lot of generous people that just can't be as generous right now. The hope is that for people that um, can continue to to support that they, they'll double down a little bit and dig a little deeper and try to support. And I think there's a good message for all of us who are still gainfully employed to uh, the charities that we support, try to be a little bit more supportive and recognition of the people that aren't in a situation where they're able to support our charities that, that we care so much about. One of the things I thought was so wonderful about, as an example, this credit that some folks in the community created for us at this independent bookstore was a move not just to support a charitable group that could really use the support. And we 
truly thank them for that. But it's also supporting the local businesses. And I think that as charities, you know, we look to local businesses throughout the year to help us out with our auctions. We're asking them for the donation of gift certificates and items and to help us fundraise. And our local community, our local businesses have been so generous. And I would encourage us all now more than ever I mean, please support our local charities. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I really do think that this is the time to support our, our local businesses here in Victoria. And so I thought that was so interesting that this particular individual that started the book credit at the independent bookstore was really had that in mind. It was supporting us, but it was also supporting a local business. And that's a common theme we've seen across the podcast. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, it's so important. I think it's, and that's not going to change. The reality is a lot more people are thinking a lot more about how, about local. It's great to see, you know, obviously you can't get everything you need from a local business, but certainly when, when I go to purchase something now, my first thought is, is there a local business I can support by purchasing this item that I need, right? We want those businesses to get through this. If they're not, then it not only hurts them, which are real people that run these businesses, mom and pop, as, as they say, right, but also hurts uh, the community more broadly because if they're not going to thrive, then they're not going to be in a situation where they can help important charities. They, they're not going to be in a position where they can contribute. They're going to be in a, in a position where they're, they're going to need help. So, yeah, I think now more than ever, a lot of people are thinking about that. Ty, you, you had some thoughts on that too. Yeah, something really clicked for me. First time you mentioned the bookstore thing, I didn't, you know, I thought, wow, it's wonderful. But then when you mentioned that, you know, it just really helps that, that local business. I think it just really underscores how interconnected everyone in Victoria and the South Island, how we are, right? Um, you know, if you can help that business, which in turn helps a nonprofit, that business can continue to run and maybe they don't have to lay off employees. And, you know, maybe that means less pressure at home for a person that can continue to work. It just, it's a healthier outcome for not just businesses, but individuals. And I think that's, that's so key. You know, we're, we're going to be in this for a while, really looking out for each other and in our local community is, is going to have a huge impact on, on how, we, how we walk out of this and, and, and the individual experiences that will come out of this because it's going to be vastly different for many people. It's a very tough time for many in the community right now. Probably in closing, I would sort of ask, it's a difficult question, but it's one that I've, I've tried to phrase in a, in a healthy way, which is, is there a silver lining? to this. We've obviously, we've been through a lot of terrible situations, obviously, but is there something we've, that you've learned as an organization or in the way that you, that you operate that is going to be part of the legacy of this, that is going to be really positive uh, in the future? Is there anything in particular? Obviously there's the online secure communication that you're able to do. And I know you were mentioning as well about the crisis line and, you know, there might be opportunities there to use other technology as well. But do you see some really positive things coming out at, as much as difficult as it is to focus on that? <laughs> well, you're right in that it is difficult. I mean, the fact of the matter remains, I have some statistics here just in reference to this part of the conversation that 12 people die each year in BC as the result of injuries sustained from intimate partner violence and abuse. 
I mean, there are all these statistics. So the first thing I think we need to recognize regarding the work that we do is that until there is significant societal change, unfortunately, services like ours are still going to be in the community. That's kind of the negative part of it. The, the positive part of it is, thank God, there are services like ours in the community. Transition House alone ha- helps over 2,000 women and 150 children and youth each year directly through our shelter and counseling services. But, you know, with the pandemic, it has, I think, forced us, like many folks in the community, to be more innovative, to really flex, to keep our mission front and center, which is to support women and kids that are impacted by gender-based violence. And how are we going to do that? If we can't meet with them face-to-face, how are we going to support them? The digital platform, more phoning, these sort of interesting care package spot visits on the porch of families that we have that type of a connection with and that, we ha- and that that's a safe thing to do. We couldn't have the, the women and the kids in the shelter because of physical distancing. So let's uh, get them into hotel rooms. It's encouraging us, forcing us to be more creative and more flexible, I think, in the way that we will continue service delivery. We have looked into and are looking into a possible text chat function, again, very cautiously, because we're very concerned about security of our clients. But I'm hopeful that that will be something that will be in the future. And then I think just in closing, in in saying, you know, partnerships, continuing these terrific partnerships an organization like Transition House has with businesses in the community like Smart Dolphins, like lots of other organizations. It's those partnerships that really help us do what we need to do to support our women and kids and help us have a, a healthy community. That's fantastic. My my kind of last thought um, was, um, I guess, especially for individuals, circling back to that, you know, fantastic question you had or you posed earlier, what is the best way that people can help support Transition House right now? In terms of support, we, we always need financial support. The financial support will help support us secure what we need to secure to allow us to continue to do our counseling and to provide the supports we need for our clients. Uh, Financial contributions are enormously appreciated. And uh, if I can just do a pitch here, our website is transitionhouse.net. And there is a donation application on the website. It's a secure, it is a secure platform for uh, giving a financial contribution to Transition House. That would be awesome. I also really want to say if there's anyone out there that needs support, that's looking for support, or has questions about intimate partner violence and abuse, or perhaps has an observed observed a situation of a friend or family member that they're wondering if that is abusive behavior or not. Those are the kind of questions that our staff and volunteers are ready to answer on our crisis and information line. And that number, Paul, may I, may I leave that number? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, please do. 250-385-6611. One one, and it's also on pretty much every page of our website. So two five zero three eight five six 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 one 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 one. Okay, yeah, and uh, so it's good to know that if you don't have to be 
the person in crisis to call that line. You can get information if you have concerns about other people, uh, neighbors or family members, that sort of thing. So thank you so much again, Susan, for being with us. Thanks for joining us today, Ty. It's, uh, it's been enlightening. And um, once again, just thank you so much for all the hard work that you guys do to serve our community. I wish we didn't need services like yours, but we do. Thanks for listening this week. And please visit transitionhouse.net and make a donation today. Thanks for listening to Island Thrive. It's a podcast, but with a porpoise from Smart Dolphins IT Solutions.